0: Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and a psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please
1: note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes.
0: I perceive the universe as a single equation, and it is so simple. <laughs>
1: Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, Cornell University just voted to prohibit the hiring of conservative faculty. (laughs) Did
0: you spearhead that resolution? Kind of has yeah. your footprints all. I, over I think it. you're getting it. I think you're getting it wrong. It's actually to fire all of those who have been found <laughs> to hold any conservative <laughs> views. No, okay. There's a couple of things to be said about this. One, this like ba- <laughs> this barely floated across my radar because pro- probably because of the same like people who tweeted out. Because I have not heard of it at all. Apparently, it's a student group who wanted. What did they say? Intellectual diversity. Yeah. God forbid. <laughs> that very, and that very same student group um, voted against making some move. And that move would have been to ask faculty to form a committee to do this. Because, come on, Cornell would never take seriously the hiring of conservatives. In the first place, right. <laughs> In the first place. But why not at least
1: have a task force to look into that?
0: <laughs> a task because conservatives have shot themselves in the foot by wanting small government. And so creating a task force to form a faculty committee to propose to the Senate to, to pass a resolution.
1: <laughs> and to Touché, says, say conservatives. <laughs> but also, according to this article that I'm looking at, conservatives have not been historically oppressed. Spending resources on intellectual diversity diverts resources from promoting other forms of diversity. And conservative students are free to speak out in class if they find something disagreeable or wish to argue their own point of
0: view. I mean, not in my class. Right. <laughs> I shut them down. <laughs> like, what, did you vote for Trump, you asshole? Um, All right, that's...
1: What are you? You're at a B. You're now at a B minus. No, keep talking. Keep um, talking. C plus.
0: I, I actually, you know, I don't know what counts as diversity. And I, st- I kind of maintain that that the the partisan level of analysis isn't the right way to promote diversity but i would kind of be interested in just finding out how much diversity there is like on a survey within our own faculty because i suspect that it's probably greater in terms of of liberal conservative ideology than people might think
1: you think there are like private secret conservatives
0: It's probably like some Keynesian economists who got, you know, fat cats from the Reaganomics era. Keynesian? They're liberals. They're, wait, not not Keynesian, trickle-downers, whatever, whoever the trickle-downers were. The the takeaway from this conversation (laughs) is
1: that you need to go back to your basic economics (laughs) test.
0: At least I didn't say Keynesian. Um, Which uh, I think is right, actually, but I don't know.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I'm not even 100% sure it's liberal, but I think it is. It's like pouring money into the government to spur the economy.
0: <laughs> is, is Einstein said.
1: <laughs> what we are discussing today is very relevant to this scintillating conversation about um, various um, ideological perspectives on on economic forces. We are talking about... Moral pluralism, thanks to to a topic that was suggested by one of our Patreon listeners when we were letting our well, not letting, um, we were gr- <laughs> grateful for <laughs> our Patreon subscribers suggesting topics for us. We didn't choose this topic or I guess the the listeners didn't cho- choose this topic, but we liked it and so we're getting to it right now. It's on pluralism. We'll go into more detail about that topic um in the next segment. But in this first segment, we're going to see how far pluralism extends.
0: Right, what we're doing is applied ethics here. Yes. I heard of it from uh, again a listener who sent us a link. I uh, will Post links to Just show notes on our list. Uh, child sex doll trial opens Pandora's box of questions about child porn. <clears throat> so apparently a 51 year old dude from Canada ordered a sex doll uh, a- from China and it was shipped, sent to his house in Canada before he even got home and was able to open it. It was intercepted. And the guy has been arrested and is currently under trial, at least as of the writing of this article. So according to a statement from the RNC, the box contains, quote, a prepubescent female doll. <laughs> just wait a little while and it'll hit puberty. Made of a foam-like consistency. You think that was his plan? It's, it, <laughs> yeah. That was, they can't prove that he wasn't just waiting <laughs> for the doll, doll. It stands at 130 centimeters, going? approximately four forfeit to. Now it does, but you know, in five (laughs) years, it'll be... It comes with clothes. He's going to Woody Allen her. Uh, It comes with clothes and other (laughs) optional accessories. Some of those accessories could be and can can be used for sexual gratification purposes. Some of what can be
1: used for sexual gratification purposes?
0: Some of those accessories. So it comes with clothes and other optional accessories, and some of those accessories... Now I'm really curious. Some of those accessories can could be And can be used. Can the doll itself not be, (laughs) but just the accessories? Witnesses have told the court the doll has a vaginal opening and that the package also contains underwear and lubricant. Oh, Oh, this uh, is horrible. (laughs) Lubricant? Was that like an add-on, Amazon add-on? um. Keep going, sorry. If Harrison ordered a sex doll, he likely has an erotic attraction to prepubescent children. Clinically, the majority of these men meet the criteria for the diagnosis of pedophilia. In my professional opinions, uh, this is a psychiatrist, possession of a sex doll is just another form of depicting a child for sexual purpose and therefore would meet the criteria for child pornography. So there's, you know, I don't remember if we've had this discussion before, but uh, I think we can agree that this is... You know, it's a despicable thing to do. Uh, I sense a but. Whether or not... <laughs> this is, I'm going to Milo this. <laughs> um, no, but but clearly is not child pornography in the sense that usually I think one of the big reasons for banning child pornography is that it actually harms children. Right. So this has to... The illegality of this has to hinge on an empirical belief that it is giving rise to to the possibility of harming children and that's what i actually uh, have a problem with in you know like uh, you could imagine someone
1: making the exact opposite case that this is actually right. preventing i mean you know if if this guy has such an overpowering impulse to do this then is this you know is this his outlet is this his way of yeah. not you know, maybe he knows that it's wrong to do it to an actual child. This is a way of handling that. This is Yeah,
0: a, yeah and and you know, nobody's gonna bother to do a study like that, right? right? Because I think that it's so it's such a despicable thought to somebody that this that this would actually be the case. That it's you know, some sort of cathartic effect. The the outrage is too much it's it's even hard for me to talk about it like in ha- you know, because I feel that same outrage. But I gotta say <sighs> Even if it turned on, like even if it were the case that um, this child sex doll led to an increase in people actually, you know, molesting children. I'm not sure that the law should ban it. That, Like, so there are a lot of things that I know for a fact. Wait, even if it led to an increase in child... Yeah. Oof. Yeah, it's not obvious to me that that's grounds for... For making it illegal, um, so so we know, for instance, that uh, that the consumption of alcohol is like super duper statistically correlated with all kinds of crimes, but but that's not reason enough to ban the drinking of alcohol. Um, so I think you need a, a, another argument. But what about that to,
1: society to, is all lined up against having well, se- I, like I mean, that? That, that I, like you said, you found it repugnant. You found it abhorrent that's not the case with alcohol i mean you don't drink as much as i would like but you don't you don't find it disgusting and
0: but i i I know that that smacks that smacks of tautology for me like that yeah so people are abhorred by it and that's why it's illegal but that's why it's disanalogous with
1: the nobody is disgusted by the fact that people drink alcohol
0: no but people are disgusted by lots of things that aren't illegal like and people are even outraged by lots of things that are illegal. Like you know, uh, there are plenty of people who think that that all kinds of sexual acts are actually wrong. We need to be careful to divide the, the law up from from our from, from these kinds of norms.
1: I mean, I'm I'm. This is a strong claim that you're making. I thought the debate would be over. What if it led to a slight decrease in pedophilia or child molestation? But you're going even a step further where you're saying, even if it led to an increase, you should permit it. Yeah, I want to hear you defend that.
0: Yeah, but I just don't think that the legality of it should hinge on on the empirical facts of it. Like, it could it could be that there's like a slight bump or a slight decrease. Um, but I think that all kinds of things can... Free speech is a great example, right? So, so I don't want people to write, you know, like uh, tracks that are white supremacist tracks, right? But I don't think that it should be illegal. But you could very well argue that this leads to an increase in in hate crimes, right, and violence against Black people. If those were the facts, then I would say, yeah, that's a horrible thing. But I don't think that that should make it illegal to say write a blog post spewing, sp- you know, spewing vile. So uh, I disagree with your
1: having sex with it. a a child's doll, but I will defend to the death. You're right (laughs) (laughs) right. (laughs) to do that. I mean, I I don't know if I... Again, I don't think that's the best analogy because our free speech principle has... I mean, there are arguments for why you want to permit the freedom of expression. I I don't know that they're the same... Like, John Stuart Mill didn't write a book defending... Having sex with dolls, any an, kind of dolls, but it's not even an analogy. Yeah. It's
0: the same principle. That is like if 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 you're gonna say to me, and uh, what you were kind of saying, it is sufi- sufficient. Well, so you could say it's sufficient that it caused co- that it, it empirically caused greater. Well, no, 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 that's really not sufficient. To... Right. I I don't right. think that. So yet. okay, so that uh, that's what I'm arguing. The, there's another argument that you presented, which is like maybe societal norms is is combined with that other thing maybe those two together um yeah like, aren't... but but uh, but i feel like we're we've been morally abhorred by lots of things that as the norms change i don't know the norms you're right the norms will never <laughs> change about so, but it's not the acting of itself like you know let's what about like you know cartoons of of ch- child sex you know, it does border to me on something akin to free speech that we would protect this sort of thing, that, that what we care really, what we care about is not letting people have sex with children. I'm a little bit sensitive to the fact that this is so often the reason, you know, protecting our children is so often the reason that that laws get passed limiting all kinds of things that aren't necessarily related to
1: yeah, I'm sensitive to that and I think there's a threshold. So I, like, you know, I mean, this is a debate with child, like video games, you know, for children, violent video games for children for a long time right. this was uh, led to a strict censor on on <laughs> on yeah. So I get that. I I do think though that at a certain point you have to balance to what extent this is a a real right that is I hate to say generalizable because that sounds like something you would say, but I mean, is this uh, like what are you sacrificing by not letting people g- have sex dolls? Um, yeah.
0: What do you by the way? What do you think about the the sale and uh, purchase of uh, Nazi artifacts from World War II? You, so I know that it's banned. It's like illegal in Germany to. To buy and sell. Like, I mean, I think it's different Singapore
1: in Germany than it would be here. I would be against yeah. a l- law. Although, why would I be against yeah. that and not against? Or, I mean, why would I yeah. be against a law banning that, but not against a law banning child sex dolls? I do. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm persuaded by your argument, but I but I see your point. There's something so viscerally
0: yeah. Horrible I think that they, they, that's right. That. I think that 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 what's really fucking with us is that um, that that this is a like analog <laughs> depiction of a child yeah. that the man is acting on, and that feels uh, more wrong. And it even feels as if it might be empirically closer to being a signal that he's actually raping a child. Yeah, right. So it seems as if like, s- like let's take let's start at the very sort of the most abstract a. A a book like Lolita, but with a younger woman, right. right? So that depicts a sexual relationship between a young person and an old person. I think that that shouldn't be banned. But Lolita didn't come with like a
1: little packet of lube <laughs> when, you, <laughs> oh, when you bought it. This is it. a million dollar idea. I okay. would... <laughs> <laughs> kickstart i mean that was the debate right it was like is this pornography or not and they determined it wasn't they determined it's a work of art so they right. let it, be public. it doesn't have but, you know it like un- it penis. undercuts yeah
0: so so i think that that maybe what we're doing so maybe it's a it's a a, a a good signal maybe it's a bad signal but i think that it's hard to shake the possibility that the closer you're getting to the actual act so like as we get more and more um realistic video games, it's not too far from just training, like a training video to teach you how to kill. Right. Like at some point, if the if you, we have tactile and auditory and visual and olfactory, all of the senses are involved in virtual reality where you kill somebody, maybe at that point it will be abhorrent to allow people to play video games in which you rape people, right? Um, and I think that's just because we, we somehow... The, think of it as closer to the act in and of itself. That's one possibility that that it actually feels like rape, even though it's a doll or a. Or, and another one is that we just think that it's in, a, an empirically better signal that you're going to commit rape or that you're predisposed. And I think
1: we would be against video games right now that were depicting child where you could rape a child.
0: Grand Theft Auto, I guess you could have sex with.
1: We're not children, you know, are they? Or
0: I don't know. I <laughs> no, no, they're not. They're not. Yeah. they're not. I think that would be. Uh, this is the number one way to push someone's buttons, which maybe gets us to Milo. And I don't think your time boy
1: Milo, <laughs> Milo yeah. I, I think like we. Yeah, we don't need to spend so much time uh, on this. Just maybe do like what PTI does. Happy trails to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Milo, <Milo-ianopolis>. you're <laughs> live by the troll, die by the troll. I think is somebody put it. Yeah, it's it's he g fucked himself. He should have <laughs> he should have he should have mailed his past self should have mailed his future self some lube because he just completely fucked himself. Well, so what? Um, yeah, so
1: so I I don't and I don't, I haven't followed this, but I have. Yeah, you've been busy. He apparently he was invited. To, I mean, what what I think liberals should resist is the the impulse to explode in Shaden Freud, although I would understand it, but yeah. like a conservative group invited him to speak. This is after the whole Berkeley thing where there were protests that, you know, that prevented him from speaking at Berkeley, and that kind of turned him into a martyr for free speech. And he goes on Bill Maher. And then the, <laughs> this this audio comes out of him kind of defending sex with a thirteen year old boy um and who in his defense I guess <laughs> yeah. is at least Bar mitzvah. And
0: <laughs> that's that's what Bar mitzvah's for. And,
1: and and then they disinvited him. And so not only do you have Milo probably having his swan song of undeserved celebrity, but you also have a conservative group forced to rescind an invitation, the thing that they're constantly complaining about. Uh, <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, I, I I tend to all push back against liberal gloating and, sh- but I, I I do say I get it.
0: You know, this conversation reminded me of a of a tweet that um my friend Diana Fleischman, who's an evolutionary psychologist, sent out today. And she said, "Some people chase offense as if outrage were an orgasm." <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, I tweeted back that, that that gives a new meaning to O face, um, <laughs> but I think like if there's one way in which you could, if if you wanted to completely screw yourself over, um, this is exactly what you would do. I like I will say um, our friend of the podcast Jesse Baring wrote a few years ago now what I think is a really good good article on pedophilia and it's it's nuanced in all the right ways and in fact it has a lot to do with the pluralist discussion that we're probably going to have right now um but but you know one of the things that he points out is that there there really is a meaningful difference between 6-year-olds and 14-year-olds um but that 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 meaningful difference may or may not um matter when it comes to the morality of between what, six, 16 and 14? A four- six-year-old. A s- six-year-old so. six, six and a 14-year-old, right? So, yeah. But I'll put a link to that because I think it's it's a, de- it's a decent treatment. This.
1: So, so CPAC shouldn't invite Jesse Baring? Is that what you're... Is that I don't you're? think... That, uh, yeah, I
0: don't think... <laughs> sorry, Jesse, just lost you <laughs> the big speaker fee. Uh, <laughs> CPAC. Uh, all right, we'll post right. a link th- to I, that. I, uh, and <laughs> let's stop talking
1: about child uh, molestation. they <laughs> <and, laughs> like
0: tainted by right. this thing. Conversation. I for the record, it's a horrible, horrible thing. Horrible, horrible thing.
1: We'll we'll put out this episode with a little packet of lube. Because
0: <laughs> we're certainly not getting anyone aroused. Repugnant. For sure. <laughs> what if the sex? What if the sex doll had AI and it was programmed to to resist? <laughs> Doesn't it seem just like <clears throat> even. Extra morally repugnant to have just like a stupid, not even AI, just like a stupid program yeah. that said no versus oh one that God. said yes.
1: Yes. Seems <laughs> way worse. Although you're fine with it, even if it leads to like a serious <laughs> increase in.
0: This is. <laughs> I mean if you if you wanna end up in a, in an Orwellian dystopia, fine. <laughs> Go ahead. Ban <laughs> Dan child sex dogs that y'all know. <laughs> That's way at the top of the mountain of the slippery slope. <laughs> I'm a defender of when people just don't want to leave the house to interact with real children. <laughs> are we really That's true. not gonna are we really gonna not edit that, <laughs> that out though? <laughs> I know. This, this whole is a throwback episode. Yeah, this is a throwback <coughs> episode. I think we should right. put it out. That's why we have tenure. This is academic <laughs> freedom at <laughs> its finest. For test, it's not like we were expressing any conservative thought. Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> we've got we've had requests for it to be more repugnant. All right, we'll be right back.
0: I guess love ain't nothing but emotion and game. It's the lesson well learned, so praise as well, too. I'm sending off a big got to Candy Cow. So guess the diamond ain't nothing but a rock with a name. I guess love ain't nothing but emotion and game. It's the lesson well learned, so praise as well, too. I'm sending off a big op to Candy Cow. You're still listening. That means you really do support us, so okay. thank you. Um, so, we just this is the moment we always take to thank our listeners. <clears throat> thank you for your emails, for your tweets, for your Facebook uh, comments. You can email us, Pizarro at gmail.com. <laughs> Pizarro at Gmail, You're going to have to edit that. <laughs> Why don't you just give out your cell phone <laughs> yeah. Social security. I'm allergic. I, you know, I haven't even had anything to drink. God verybadwizards at gmail.com uh you can tweet us at verybadwizards at tamler at peas um oh we you can follow us
1: on instagram now my daughter eliza set up an instagram account instagram.com slash verybadwizards maybe bella will hop on to follow it it'll mean a lot to to (laughs) (laughs) they'll just be
0: taking pictures of us like on the toilet yeah um Uh, Yes, Instagram. That's great. I have to follow it. And if you would like to support us in more tangible ways other than communicating with us, which, by the way, I've been answering a lot of emails, so I hope that that, that's made some people happy. Um, uh, You can go to our VeryBadWizards.com page and click on support or on donate. Uh, You can go to Patreon.com slash VeryBadWizards. And there you can support us uh, financially with a recurring donation for what we do. We really, really appreciate all of that. Um, you can also support us by going to the support page and clicking for a one-time donation on PayPal or on by shopping via Amazon and clicking our button first, and we'll get a little piece of it. So thank you guys all for, for all of the emails. Like we say, we read them all. We don't always have time to respond to them all, but we really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, you for everything.
1: Everyone. Rate us on iTunes. Did you say that? Like us on oh, yeah. Facebook. No, I forgot to say that.
0: And yeah, and, uh, and because of you guys, we have today's topic and subscribe even if the you can you don't have an iPhone subscribe to us you really want to get past this partial exam
1: well we got close yes. we got so <laughs> close uh, like a week ago yeah. and then we missed traveling it's built in
0: it's built in it's unfairness just it's built in
1: built in it's just, yeah uh, it's institutional it's like racism but worse
0: You know exactly what it's like. Uh, Really quickly, uh, if you have an iOS device on your iPhone, uh, I use Overcast, which is the podcast client that I use. And you can also recommend us there. But one of the things that I like that I keep meaning to mention, which is now we're moving beyond support, but just as a way to share, um, overcast.fm is the website for this podcast client. But one of the things that you can do is um uh, send links with timestamps via Overcast. So if there's, if there's a piece of audio that you want to point to, it's very easy to create a link that will go straight to that audio um, at that time. Especially for this episode. Yeah. <laughs> you want to take us completely out of context. Um.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't think this was the right time to give them this <laughs> technology. <laughs> uh, Alright, take it away. Today we're going to talk about moral pluralism and... We are going to post a link to Susan Wolfe's article, Two Levels of Pluralism. One of our listeners on Patreon suggested this topic, and I'll read the topic out right now as he stated it. I think it was a he. I don't have his name up right here. Moral, moral pluralism seems to imply that there are at least constraints on what can be considered moral. If this is so, what justifies these constraints? Are these universally held beliefs or judgments? And if so, what? If any evidence is there that such universally held beliefs exist? So I think the the listener here is getting at an interesting question about moral pluralism, possibly attention. On the one hand, it, it seems to not to, to be saying there's not just one, right answer, morally speaking, of what to do in a given situation or how to live, uh, what kind of life is a good life. On the other hand, it is not subjectivism. It's not pure relativism. It's not nihilism. It does seem to to hold that one way of life can be better than another. One course of action can be more morally correct than another. So, how does it strike that balance? If there are those constraints, what justifies where you stop? And and, and more generally, we're gonna talk about moral pluralism and what it means, um, and the various dimensions. Let me start by asking you a question, Dave. You, yeah. in your fine and your excellent and very flattering forward of my book, A Very Bad Wizard, Morality Behind the Curtain, which I, I would love it if more people bought. Um, we'll put a we'll put a link to it this time. You said in the foreword that it was a sneaky manifesto of a moral pluralist, meaning that you consider me to be a moral pluralist and also sneaky, like you know, sneaky, a little anti-Semitic. <laughs> this,
0: <the sneaky. laughs> I was, I was trying, trying, I was trying to sneak yeah. in a little bit there. They they actually ended up cutting uh, my accompanying image of you rubbing your hands together. <laughs> but do you consider yourself to be a moral pluralist i don't i don't think so and and part of it hinges on on maybe either my understanding or my definition of pluralism which was going to be my question to you which the, the way that i i think i understand pluralism in the normative sense there can be distinguished one which is just like okay if we measure people does it appear as if there are a variety of values that people hold that one could call moral um, and like say moral foundations. I take that to be a sort of descriptive claim about the fact that there do just appear to be a different set of values that people hold. Yeah. That, that I think <clears throat> is not, that's
1: that common, not moral. pluralism. I mean, that's cultural that's, pluralism or cultural relativism right. or something. Yeah.
0: So in the in the moral sense, in the normative sense, saying I, I take the claim to be and you correct me if I'm wrong, but from Susan Wolf's article, it is the claim that morality can't be reduced to a singular principle. The, the sort of, sort of like traditional normative ethics tries to reduce it, like consequentialists try to reduce you know all of of ethics boil it down to something like maximizing okay. happiness or utility or the good or however you define the good um and Kantians have like the categorical imperative uh, some basic foundational principle and I, I think that pluralism is trying to say two things one two like there could be a number of different princi- moral principles that can't be unified in any meaningful way And two, and this is the part that I'm not sure of, that sometimes they might be in conflict, but that doesn't mean they're wrong.
1: So I think there's a lot of different dimensions. And one of them is, I think, very compatible with moral objectivism. It's not compatible with like utilitarianism, where there is just a single principle that everything reduces to, and it's not compatible with um, what you are, a Kantian. There's a type of, moral pluralism that's just pluralism at the levels of value within an individual moral system so um, the philosopher W.D. Ross is a proponent of a kind of pluralism where we just have a bunch of different moral duties yes I said duties uh, <laughs> th- I, really know, hard, I, I know <laughs> <laughs> we have a duty to keep our promise we have a obligation not to harm people, an obligation to be grateful and reciprocate, and um, sometimes these obligations will conflict, and when they conflict, there's no algorithm, sorry, I know you love algorithms, but there's no algorithm to tell you which of those duties overrides the other, and even and this is a key point too even when you have determined and 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 there might be a right answer about or which duty should become the the absolute duty in that moment you still have done something wrong you've still done something you've still violated a duty but what is objective is that you that you have those obligations
0: Okay, so that's pluralism within one moral system. Right.
1: That's the kind of pluralism that philosophers sort of wrestle with more than I think the everyday public. Right, 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 right. Then there's a level of pluralism where you can have two different cultural moral systems or, or, or moral systems within a group. They're both internally coherent. They both work well for that group— there are moral systems that wouldn't work well for that group and that wouldn't be okay, but they're incommensurable. They're not immune from criticism, but there neither of them is
0: you can't point to which one is the more ethical. So, I want to talk about that example that she uses. I've never seen this movie, a 1985 movie uh, called yeah. yeah, called Witness. Um and this I think is is the the straightforward example that, that there are two characters, um, a police detective who she says, <clears throat> whom she says, the, is unambiguously presented as a righteous human being, a man of integrity and conscience, who devotes his life to protecting his fellow men against murderers, kidnappers, rapists, thieves, and the like, in the manner in which policemen typically do these things. And then she describes this other character the, uh, the who's Amish. She says, on the other hand, are pacifists. They will not bear arms or even strike another human being. So there is a key scene in the movie in which one of the Amish men, Daniel, is insulted by a bully in the town through which they are passing. As is his way, the Amish man simply stands there submitting to the bully's abuse. Indeed, to him it would have seemed wrong to do anything but submit to it. But the detective character cannot just stand there allowing the thug to go on with his merciless taunting. He hauls off and breaks the bully's nose, thus ultimately blowing his own cover and leading to the movie's exciting conclusion. So two different actions. You might say, like, well, if I'm trying to determine sort of prescriptively which action ought I I follow, she says, here's a case in which you could very easily say without collapsing into relativism, which I think is the critical claim here. Yeah. Without having to throw up your hands, at least in any sort of nihilistic or subjectivist way, and say that there is no truth of the matter, um, you can say that neither of these actions is wrong, or at least you you could even say um, they are both right. So here's where I need a little bit of help. Because how is this not some sort of objectivism that's just relativism? That is, that you say, according to his culture, the Amish man is doing the right thing, and according to his culture... Um, and so I take it to be something like, um, not just according to the standards of his culture, but that actually, no matter what culture you're from, it makes sense to say that what the Amish man did was right and what the detective did was right. It yeah. doesn't so much matter. I mean, you might have an uh, an epistemological question about how they know what's right, given what their culture's from. But, but from an external perspective, it makes sense to say, I think that both of these are right. In fact it's unclear to me you know how wh- like why either why you would want to say one is is more right than the other or w- on what grounds you might say that they're more right
1: and he, but then so what I, so I don't then know, or you, what grounds would you say from the other side that other actions that the two that's, might take yeah that's your question that's exactly what i'm yeah.
0: yeah um so she says it seems morally required of daniel this is the amish character that he refrained from striking the bully because the society of which he is a self-affirming member absolutely prohibits violence. Is it right for this society to have such prohibition? If there were decisive moral reasons against it, Daniels being a member of a society that enforces it would not be sufficient to make it right for him to comply. But there are not apparent decisive moral reasons against the prohibition. That is, the prohibition does not seem wrong. There are obvious moral reasons that support it, though there may also be moral costs, for example, to personal liberty. And here's where I get stuck on moral pluralism because it seems as if what she's saying is that there are sort of external third-party objective reasons to think that some practices are appropriate morally and some are not. Right I don't yeah she just popped out a level, and I'm not sure wh- where exactly those come from. I mean, and that
1: is one of her commitments that there are these decisive moral reasons that exist independent of the psychology of a particular group or a particular individual. So there's a couple ways I think you could go about defending this kind of view. One is the, the virtue ethics, a kind of virtue ethics where their community, the Amish, are able to flourish using this code, using this pacifist um, moral worldview. They're able to flourish, live with integrity and consistency. uh, And similarly, so is Harrison Ford and, and Witness able to flourish living by his code. Had Harrison Ford, instead of punching the bully, in the face, had he like castrated him or killed him and killed his family, that's not a viable way for him to to flourish as a human being. Those wouldn't be virtues that would be sustainable for his culture or really any culture. That's what makes it not slip completely into nihilism is that the codes that you live by have to be something that's viable for you to live a flourishing, virtuous life. But there are multiple ways of doing that. There are multiple ways of doing that, and partly it'll depend on your environment, and partly it'll depend on your temperament. I I take this to be in some ways a little like Valerie Tiberius's view way back when when we talked with her, that you have these values, and if you live according to those values, and the values themselves are sustainable and coherent, then that's a good life. And there are ways of doing that. There are multiple ways of doing that, depending on the individual, depending on the group. But they are not unlimited ways of doing that.
0: Right. So and the constraints on that, which gets us sort of to the listener argument, um, are what what interests me, because my fear isn't at all that this might collapse into relativism, but rather that it's collapsing into some form of monism, which is to say that there that it does boil down to a an evaluative standard that you can apply across the board, which is. So some cultural
1: practices just won't work for all human beings. That's
0: no, no, no. I know. But but. Well, it depends what you mean by it won't work. I mean, I, I don't know how honor killings... The, like, the word flourishing here is... It seems as if I could hear somebody arguing that this culture... Um, that people flourish um, by practicing honor killings in their culture. And then the objection would be that, well, some people exactly don't. And, in fact, there is a principle of not having practices that so... so singularly expose one of its member you know some subset of its members to to that kind of treatment that we're against and there I'm like okay so now we're we're getting to some 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 universalizable principle that a cultural practice should not do that and so pluralism is compatible
1: with there being like constraints like that I mean this is what Susan Wolf believes And then there's just multiple ways of acting that don't violate those constraints. Uh, That doesn't mean, though, that there's there's a big difference between that and there's only one right way to live. What that's saying is there are definitely wrong ways of living and wrong practices that can't be justified.
0: Yeah. So I guess this is the distinction between there being many different ways in which you can act. Versus whether or not there is some principle that captures this, right? And so, um, uh, like you know, there's there's an analogy which she uses that I find really interesting. I'm not convinced by, it, and I think you might be. And um, that it, it's still a, a very useful analogy. Um, and so Susan Wolf at the beginning um, uh, refers to Bernard Gert, who Bernie Gert. Who, he offers an analogy between such morally controversial questions as what's the best policy regarding active euthanasia, and the question who's the best hitter in the major leagues, Right. which is a, a baseball reference for this view, right? And so, so I find that to be an interesting analogy where you say, um, I think we've all had these frustrating conversations that are that can border on meaningless sometimes, where you ask the question, hey, who's the you know who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Who's who is the best? you know, rock and roll guitarist of all time. And you get in these arguments and you realize, well, it just kind of depends on what you mean by greatest. And so you might actually say, well, by the greatest, I mean who's had the longest hit streak in baseball or who had the most base hits or who had the most home runs or who had... But it just doesn't reduce to that when you're asking that. And and in fact, nobody, say, nobody says really that, um, no, you're just wrong. Um they yeah, just they say, do. okay, well, that's not what I mean. Well, I mean, they could, but no, it's not I mean, so I think about weird. this. Like, you're a
1: big Lakers fan, and I, if somebody wants to make a case that Kobe Bryant is the best Laker of all time or that Magic is or that Kareem is, like, those those you can make a case for. But if somebody wants to say that D- Derek Fisher is the best yeah, Laker yeah. of all time or Robert Ori, in spite of the fact that he won the most championships of any uh,
0: of any Laker I think, <laughs> right. then that would just be wrong.
1: I mean that that yeah, that's no, the analogy. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's I'm proposing that analogy because I think it's interesting because the the power of that analogy is that just because you can't agree on the right answer doesn't mean that there aren't clear wrong answers. Right. That's so,
1: pluralism right there. That's the slogan
0: for pluralism, I think. But on thinking of this I think that it is a bit of a sneak analogy because I think that that's not answering the most interesting questions about morality. With, with sports performances, you start with such a clear set of established facts and the epistemological certainty that they matter that it's not too hard to say um, these are plausible candidates for being the greatest hitter. So, Do you think, you think know, that you start with more
1: than with morality? Though,
0: I mean, yeah, for sure. There's a set. Of, there's there are a set of rules that are clearly established, and there is a a, a b- baked in criteria for success. Right? There are all of these things that we that are criteria for success in sports that give us a very very firm starting point to have this argument. But and but think of the morality, witness case, I, right? We clearly the fact that
1: that's an intuitively plausible case or example of moral pluralism where there's no right answer, think of the things that we are importing into that to make that intuitively plausible. The fact that uh, John Book is, st- uh, or Harrison Ford, the character, is, it, uh, is sticking up from, for his friend He's sticking up for somebody that he's supposed to defend. That's clearly something that we respond to and that we take for granted as something that's good. Yeah, but if
0: he killed the guy... I mean, if he killed the guy sticking up for him, we'd say, no, that's wrong. I mean, I... Well like, right but a, that's
1: but again that that's another thing that we take for granted is a kind of proportionality principle which is another reason why we say that what he did was right but that there are wrong answers and Daniel's you know the fact that he's he's acting with integrity according to the rules of his of his community is something that we admire and we consider to be virtuous. And so that's why we don't think that Daniel is just a punk putting up with this. I mean, there's a lot that's embedded in in how we evaluate people's actions as right or wrong or more right or, or less right. You know, I, I, I that's, I, I think that the analogy yeah, fits I, there. Yeah.
0: I, I, I think that, that, um, that the combination of those two analogies is a little bit misleading again i think that it's it it really the hard question is if there were by standing up for his principles as like a a a good member of his culture he actually killed the bully right that that to me is what doesn't occur in sports right it's like it's very clearly the answer that you know there is never a case where somebody says what if somebody went up to the base and like threw their bat um, you know into the infield like that just doesn't happen but it happens in morality all the time where where people have such such different sets of of moral views that it seems as if pluralism needs but i, I don't know why a consequentialist couldn't just say like no look when if somebody just killed the bully We would say it's wrong because of the consequences like i i don't see how the consequentialist has any problem with this
1: i don't think they have a problem with saying that he shouldn't have killed the bully the consequentialist has a problem of saying there's not a single right answer of whether the right response was john book or daniels right
0: but they could, but they could say, like, look, it really just depends on which one is going to stop people from bullying in the future, and which one will minimize Daniel's pain. So, so. But that's not could, why
1: it, we're applauding the act. We don't think that this bully is going to stop. He's going to think, "Oh, I will never bully." But had the Amish person hit me, then I would have continued to bully. That's not what our intuition is no, responding the, to. But,
0: but the, but the consequentialist could easily say. There is a simple answer to just dis, to distinguish. Look, it could be that both of them have an equivalent, uh, equivalent, a uh, function of like you know increasing the good, and if so, they would just be equal. That is like the practice itself isn't so much what matters, right? Like there are many. I don't think the consequentialist has to defend themselves um, from there being multiple routes to maximizing. Like, and that might include actions that are culture specific right so like you come into my house and i don't offer you food i make you upset right they would say a could easily say don't offend people and in this culture that's what it means by offending it's like i don't know that that example shows me that i have two different values i think it just shows me that there are two different ways to express a value like sometimes sometimes it what's helps the value the other what's cheat. the single
1: value that's being expressed
0: there maximizing the good the, no, no. The value that—well, if you want to say the value that's being expressed is a, is a firm disagreement with the way that the bully's treating me. And that could be peaceful protest, and it could be retributive act. And I, and I think that calling those different values— You mean the
1: passivism value versus the defend aggressively defend your friend value? I mean, right. is that not—why don't you think that those things—since since the Amish person will never express the— Because I
0: think you could, post, you could post a picture of the bully and put it on Reddit, and that would be yet another way of expressing your disapproval. And I don't think that I am holding different values. I But think that's that- not the, what the, the, the Amish person does. They just sit there and take it. No, I know that that's not what the Amish person does, obviously. I'm giving what... you yet a third I'm giving you a third method to express your disapproval of the bully's actions and I'm asking you if you think that that's a different value that I'm expressing. So,
1: I don't think the Amish person is expressing disapproval. They're not expressing disapproval. They're just not responding aggressively to the bullying. In what sense are they expressing
0: disapproval? I mean, he's stoically sitting there and letting the guy hit him. How is that expressing that that is disapproval? A, I think that that's a, that's a risk. Resp- that's like the pacifist response to violence is like, he, what else is he expressing? No, I don't think
1: he's express. I think he's expressing neutrality. Obviously, yeah, uh, I think so, deep so in his heart, so- he, dis- he he doesn't want to be bullied, but he's not expressing it. He's not expressing it in the same way that punching somebody in the face is expressing it. That's... Or of course he's not expressing it in the same way. That's why no, he's not expressing methods, it to the same e- degree. To the it, he's just not expressing it. He's just not. That's the whole point
0: of the pacifist. What do you think that pas- the pacifism of Gandhi isn't expressing disapproval of British rule? Like, of course it's expressing no. Disapproval. Because like, in that that's the whole case, point it's of pacifism. civil
1: disobedience, I think you would have a case if it was the civil disobedience. But in this case, he's just standing there stone faced, right? He's just don't. He's turning.
0: Tur- turning the other cheek,
1: right? I, I yeah. mean, that's. But, but it's I don't see it expressing it's a, stretch a different To say value. that that's the same value as punching the guy in the face.
0: You tell me, like, is is public shaming um, expressing the same value? But this isn't as public shaming. He's not public. No, shaming. I know, but you got to allow me to give you a different example. Like, right. just like either whole point of bringing a different example is to get your intuition right. about whether public okay. shaming is expressing. Okay, so is public shaming by posting the bullies? like you know face on reddit and describing the story is that the expression of a different value than punching the bully in the face
1: No I don't think so
0: Okay so that's all I want to defend from is the the possibility that you could just have multiple methods I yeah. buy what you're saying like you it could very well be that this guy is not in fact protesting I took it I took his pacifism to be a form of protest against the violence so it could be that he's expressing a different value But I was worried about the conflation of different methods like you know punching with your fist versus punching with a versus hitting with a bat as being somehow evidence of different values being expressed i and
1: i see that and i think a lot of the time what seems like two different Values being expressed are just two different ways of expressing the same values and I mean this is always the defense against moral relativism that moral objectivists give is you know the same value or the same principle can be realized in multiple different ways and often your environment and your cultural social ecological environment will determine the ways in which you can express that same principle right what makes this a good example is that it's very hard to make that case i think here and i think that's true also of the baseball analogy or the sports analogy in that there are multiple values here there just are the fact that that's true doesn't mean that there are unlimited values or that any answer to who's the best
0: hitter or who's the best
1: laker or the best celtic
0: and and there's where i think when when wolf says as we just discussed that there are constraints again whether or not the the those constraints are the ones that you describe like are you flourishing sort of from a virtue yeah. theorist point of view um i i think i think that it's not unreasonable to say you you could say that those constraints are deontological constraints and that seems to just pop back up into so, sort of just a different level of analysis which actually so here uh, here's another way that
1: you could have the moral pluralism. Moral pluralism is like a God, I'm slurring my words. I'm not even trying. <laughs> <A> moral pluralism <laughs> is the like a threshold. So you know, the one thing we always run up against is the kind of singer view where you buy a really nice sweater for your child, and that could maybe buy tw- twenty five mosquito nets and possibly save a life. Right. So, at a, you know, the, 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 the at least utilitarian, the kind of utilitarian that Singer is, says that that's wrong, that's morally wrong. And now you might right. think that once you get past a certain level, so buying a Porsche for your 16-year-old kid, rather than giving that money to Oxfam is, is wrong. Um, but once you get to a certain level of effective altruistic purposes, um, after that there's just no right answer as to how much you should give and how much you should favor family members, friends, your own, you know, enrichment, your own um, intellectual engagement right. with the world, like all those things that, but. The thing that constrains it is the threshold, right? On both sides. Maybe if you're like Bernard Williams, you would say at a certain point, you become, you lose your identity. If you give too much, if you just become like a, a machine, a vessel for uh, increasing mm, the, right. and, and, but you know, whether there's a ceiling, there's definitely a floor, right? And uh, until you get to that floor, you're doing something wrong or not what you ought to do. But after that, it's it's all right. You know, like no matter what you do, as long as you do it for other values, as long as you're, I don't wanna say maximizing, but you're acting according to other values, then it's
0: okay. Yeah, I think that would be what—I mean, I do think that the consequentialists would hate this, uh, like a true consequentialist would hate. So there's another thing that I want to say, which is that our discussion, as we were having it a little bit earlier, it could boil down to a very boring thing, which is simply to say that there is a level of abstraction where you can can describe things like— the value of caring for your neighbor and the obligation to your family and the desire to live a virtuous life. And you could say, you could describe this as pluralism and defend it. And you could, maybe as just an organizational tool or even a linguistic trick, describe all of those things in in a more abstract sense as a singular principle, right? So you could say, oh, look, what all of these things have in common is that you should... Um, take the perspective of others. and i I am sympathetic to what you probably think, which is that that's not that's cheating. like that's not saying much. yeah, yeah. and and I think that art like my desire toward monism to be able to describe what morality boils down to, which would be something like impartiality, um, might be just a way that I have of describing. What in practice is better described as a set of values that may or may not overlap as guides to action, that level of abstraction doesn't help that much. So, I actually think that the categorical imperative doesn't tell me much, right? right? It's yeah, yeah, no, you have does there's much, like
1: a pluralism embedded in you that's trying that's been trying to break <laughs> out maybe the maybe this is like that first like the brick is coming out and that little beam of sunlight is coming through
0: um, i'm uh it's it's because of my my cultural my cultural commitments to my latin american family
1: you trumpet kant from the rooftops i do think that this <laughs> kind of pluralism best captures like what you've said over the course of the podcast career. (laughs) I mean, look at the child sex doll example is a good example of this. So these, and and here's one where you wouldn't want to just, you wouldn't want to give in too quickly to the, well, it's just two competing values, no way to decide between them. But there are two competing values, right? There's the value of privacy and allowing people to do what they want versus the value of people don't get to have sex with like fake children
0: <laughs> because as we know from movies they might you know get animated and turn into real dolls and then they and real people and then they would have all kinds of trauma so so on the one hand these
1: two values seem very incommensurable right privacy non-interference by the government versus don't allow people in your society right. perp- to have sex with perp- fake children child dolls but on the other hand you wouldn't want to just throw up your hands too quickly with that right you would want to try to figure out if there's a way of resolving that conflict my my feeling is with this at least is that I don't know if, if it can be fully resolved like I don't think there's decisive arguments on either side for for those two things
0: right I think that it is in my mind, a meaningful thing to find the similarities across these values. Where I, I do think that at some level of abstraction, um, uh, be taking an impartial perspective of what other people m- might feel given your actions is at the heart of of morality. Um, and yet, I think that that finding that like the most abstract level, it only helps in, for certain like. Right. For certain kinds of tasks, like if what you're trying to do is say guide the action of you know the the members of your society, I don't think that it often produces the right answer very well because it's there's so much that needs to be filled in there, Um, and it it betrays what it betrays is the very real tension that you described, not having harm done versus keeping people respecting people's privacy, Um, having having that unitary principle. Is is fine as a way of trying to wrap my head around what's common about morality, but it's not a very good way of both describing and arb- being an arbiter of competing values that might emerge from people who think that way. So, so <laughs> yeah. let's 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 uh,
1: come at this from the other angle, just as by way of conclusion. What constrains pluralism, and this was the listener's question, right? What constrains it then from going all the way into
0: relativism or
1: subjectivism or nihilism?
0: Let me quote Susan Wolf. So she says, um, which is always a good thing to do. It's a good yeah. For the codes that required or permitted the behaviors in question in these latter cases, here she's talking about like Nazis reporting hidden Jews assuming that there were consistent codes available at the time we're not among those within the range to which reason constrains us and significantly the reasons against these codes had direct bearing on the specific actions and institutions at issue and so it's so she is as you say she's giving a nod to there being reasons that ought to constrain these things and and i think that there are clear cases where something like an abstract principle is useful because it clearly, viol- like the like case of honor killings, it clearly to me violates like, hey, what if you had been born a woman in this culture just by fear, mis- like a sheer misfortune of existence? You're born a woman. Um, I think that it's pretty easy to say on the most abstract principle that you don't want a society that right, that treats um, people of a different color or, or women or whatever, gay men, just by dint of them. Like, but
1: what if somebody just, says to you, well, that's your kind of Rawlsian original position, hype, but I don't subscribe to that?
0: Because I think Rawls's original position is trying to infuse a lot more into the prescriptive actions, like the laws and the norms right. of a society. And I think that, that what it does at best is constrain. But I don't think that it can, it can fill the content of everyday morality and the expression of morality in the way that those people thought that it would. I like and that's why I take like something like the Golden Rule to be more like a okay, if I have any doubt about what's going on here, right, the Golden Rule pretty much eliminates things like slavery and, and murder and rape. <laughs> right? And so I think that morality can be constrained. Um But that that's way. only it can't-
1: if you accept the Golden Rule, which Certain people will say that they don't. And that's a
0: whole other conversation because I actually think at this very abstract level, there is some reason, there's some reasoning that that gets you to that most abstract claim. Here are my thoughts on this.
1: And I, I guess one thought, one question. So one way that you could put constraints on a sort of a moral system, a moral code, is by saying it is based on empirically false facts. So it's based on... So if you believed, you know, if honor killings were done because they believed that um, their family would be cursed and that three out of every five of their subsequent children were uh, we're going to be born with severe mental retardation or right. Tay Sachs disease or something like that, then you could say, well, that's just that moral value is based on a mistake.
0: Okay, that, we know what causes Tay Sachs and it's, it's, yeah, like, <laughs> it's Jews.
1: But, and I think that actually empirical disagreements can take you a long way to at least getting closer. To moral agreement than than you already are,
0: right? And I think that the, that those empirical disagreements are often illustrative of the principles that are at at, at play. Because if you believe that um, uh, uh, you know, letting gypsies into your village will curse your generations, you know, for three generations down, um, then that empirical belief might be wrong, but it's betraying what you think is important, which is sort of the overall harm of your community. Yeah,
1: I mean that would be a limiting. Constraint, but so. And as Susan Wolf says, it does seem like even once you get empirical agreement, uh, agreement on the even potentially relevant empirical facts, there seem there still seems to be moral disagreement. So the interesting question is, what do you make of that? Is it is it anything goes once there is empirical agreement or agreement on the empirical facts, or is it? You know, are there these reasons that constrain values after that point? And, and I think the, the baseball analogy is
0: interesting. What constrains. Yeah. I, li- I like, by the way, how how you quickly went to Derek Fisher is unequivocally not the best Laker. Well, I mean, isn't he unequivocally <laughs> like, not the. I mean, you're the authority. Definitely not the best Laker. But you know, of all the the random ass Lakers to choose, like at least he won some championships and made some winning shots. But like, it just was hilarious to me as a Laker fan to to, to have you say him specifically, right. <laughs> specifically. Well, <laughs> it's like it's like we know, for instance. <laughs> That, the, that, you know, among the best psychologists are, uh, you know, right. Al Bandura. Could, yeah. and, but David Pizarro is But one thing we know like, for sure is that David Pizarro is
1: not the best <laughs> social psychologist.
0: And like, I'm like, hey, I'm like thinking about Derek Fisher being like, am hey, pretty damn good. Like, what's so obvious?
1: <laughs> no, but I mean, what does... And then you could do this for rapper, too. You could do it for best uh, filmmaker, best director, right? Um, what, like what imposes those constraints? And I think that it's going to be the same kind of deal for morality and for those questions. Um, it's going to be some sort of shared agreement on a broad set of standards, but those will only produce wrong answers. They won't produce single correct answers
0: they'll defeat something but uh, they're it's hard to is
1: there a disanalogy there i mean take movie directors like all-time best movie directors is it i
0: think that's a better analogy than than sports because sports has such a clearly defined metric of success whereas you could say you could argue that a director who's never won any major award is you know the best director
1: um, so, so take that analogy. Is there any disanalogy there between, like, we? I, I think, I mean, you could go full on relativist or nihilist about who the best director is and say it's just as easily Michael Bay or Joel <laughs> Schumacher, you know, Schumacher right. as it is Martin Scorsese or Kurosawa or whatever. But at that point, you're. You don't really mean you're, it. You're you're not playing the game. Yeah, right? you're, you're not you're playing like, the game. Yeah.
0: I, I suspect it would boil down to a list of criteria that film critics could say they could disagree about, but it would be like there. Here are five questions that we ask: like, did you know were they influential? Did they right? Like, it, um, yeah.
1: Like, how many it, great films? How many like yeah. un or close to unanimously agreed upon great films did they produce? how um you know how many right. total could films you, yeah, did they produce
0: e- and you could even say something like uh how, like t- t- take a tarantino like there you could even if you don't like tarantino's films you could say there are there's a clear influence of films before tarantino and films after tarantino yeah um and you could say that 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 is a metric of greatness and there's a craft,
1: I, you know, there's a certain craft of filmmaking that you can appreciate even if you don't love the movie.
0: Right. Originality. That's, yeah. I don't know. I still want to hold on to the fact that, like, there is some level at which you could boil down morality. It strikes me that there is, well, I don't know. I don't know. If you had a rank order moral infractions um, and say, like, okay, which of these, like, order from bad to neutral... And you had like, you know, murdering innocent people and, and rape and robbery and theft that you would probably get more agreement agreement than you would for t- top fifteen directors.
1: So does that is that what it boils down to then? than shared agreement that's well, more no, I think the that the,
0: that I I think that the agreement would just simply reflect that there's an easier way to determine that something is rubbing up against the moral constraint. Then that something is Uh, um, not right.
1: Yeah, that's that's sneaky. I thought I was the Jew.
0: (laughs) You can't see me rubbing (laughs) my hands. Sometimes I just want to say, Borges wrote this wonderful essay um, uh, about him being uh, about the accusations that he had received about being a Jew. Yeah, And the way that he dealt with it was by writing an essay saying how he actually wishes that he were a Jew and just went on to laud the Jewish people for all of it. And so at a time where anti-Semitism was rampant, he just said like, I, I'm not, but I wish I were. <laughs> you know, the, from the South
1: Park movie where Cartman, you know, it's kind of a touching moment where they both think that Cartman and Kyle think they're going to die and Cartman says, uh,
0: uh, other times I said you were a big dumb Jew. I didn't mean it. You're not a Jew. Yes, I am. I am a Jew, Cartman.
1: And he says, "No, no, don't be so hard on <laughs> yourself."
0: <laughs> uh, all right, all right. Let's uh, stick note.
1: Let's. That, I think we hit all the things. We definitely hit porn. We hit porn hard. We hit repugnance hard. We hit anti-Semitism. Little con I mean, thrown in.
0: Movies. Milo. <laughs> Milo. Uh given given how the, how I thought this was going to go I actually think we did the philosophy. We actually did some philosophy.
1: We did. I think you also held up your end. Maybe more than I <laughs> held up my end.
0: You've had in your defense you've had a rough week. <laughs> you've had a rough you've week. A, you, your child sex doll didn't come with any lube <laughs> at all. <laughs> so
1: morally wrong even in a pluralist world. We'll be back next week to talk about a rival. Anybody can have a brain? You're a very bad man. I'm a very good man, just a very bad wizard.